Yes, Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our praise. You, Lord, are worthy of our praise. The name of Jesus will be praised. So worthy to be praised. Lord, we praise you this morning. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for every single one of us on this planet, whether they know it or not. We thank you for the sacrifice of the cross. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the righteousness that has been placed upon our lives that we could stand in your presence today. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. You are worthy of our praise, worthy of our praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. You can grab a seat. Is he worthy to be praised? It's good, isn't it? Well, Paul reminded me when he, we got down from the stage before that Angie and I actually never said who we are and what we do. It was on the screen, I know, but Angie and I are the senior pastors here. We're, we're coming up two years next week, which is uh, pretty exciting. Well, we're excited about it, and a couple of you are, so, so that's good. That's good. Hey, um, awesome. Oh, I dragged that clap out of you, didn't I? You don't really mean it. I'm <laughs> just teasing. That's awesome. Last week I spoke a message called Respond. Well, today is part two of Respond. Last week I shared how I felt in my heart this year that God was wanting us to be a people who respond to Him, a people who know what it is to say yes to Him no matter what He might ask of us, that we would say yes to Him without adding, adding anything to our yes. Yes, Lord, I'm up for whatever you have for me this year. Yes, I'll be obedient, knowing that's a big prayer to whatever you ask of me. Yes, even if it means sacrifice and difficulties along the way. And here's the phrase that I felt in my heart. Life Church, respond to my heart that the world would get the chance to know my son. Our response to God is one of humility where we as sons and daughters recognize our need of God and need for God in every single part of our lives, not limiting our connection and desire and response toward Him to just a few hours on a Sunday. God is interested in every part of our lives. Everything you're involved in, everything you're interested in, everything you've got activity in, God is interested in it and wants to be part of it. When we build a life for ourselves that is not based on response to God, we begin to build a life that is drawing us away from Him. So you're designed and created to be in full-time, fully devoted relationship with God. Life becomes a reflection of our response to His love and to what He has done for us. People who walk in grateful response to God, His love, and what he has done for them are people who will, will, will walk in obedience to what he is asking of them. When you have a revelation of what God has done for you, what he's achieved for you, what he has done by sending Jesus to the cross, when you've got a true revelation and understanding of that in your spirit and in your heart and in your understanding, you can't help but walk in obedience out of response to him. How do I know that? Well, it's my own story. See, I never set out in my journey of faith to be a pastor in a church. 
I think people that set out to do that are crazy. (laughs) However, where I am today is simply a result of continuing to say yes to God's desire for my life, even when it's difficult. Just a commitment to keep saying yes to him. Not always easy. But what drives that response is actually what's going on in my heart. What's going on in my heart is complete gratitude for God saving this young man who was suicidal, deeply depressed, addicted, rejected, mistreated, angry, and lost. In the midst of all that, God somehow found me. Using a group of people, in particular, a couple of individuals whose response to God had meant they had a love in their hearts for broken people living in the world. And through that, God found me and God saved me. So he has my grateful and responsive heart. In planning this series of messages, I was reminded of some of the painful changes that God had to make in my life to bring about transformation. My personal growth, and I want you to catch this this morning, my personal growth lay on the other side of painful process and change. Honesty and truth. Your biggest breakthrough probably lies on the other side of a painful process and change. See, I I arrived in church a complete broken and complete mess, and I wasn't miraculously transformed overnight. In fact, I'm still not totally there. I'm still in the process. But my greatest breakthroughs lay on the other side of the process of change and transformation, and it's painful. The kind of change I'm talking about where God sets about transforming your life and bringing understanding into your heart is a painful process of change. But I feel that's my journey, and that's a journey for a lot of people. I would love it to be an instant, miraculous fix. One laying on of hands, and everything's okay. But God is not afraid of the process of transformation or our pain. Why? Because he knows that he will stay with us in the midst of a painful process. He's the God of the journey. He's the good shepherd, and he will be with us. Some of you right now at the beginning of painful process and transformation. Some of you are midway through. Some of you are a long way through. But God has never finished with our transformation because he's sitting about making us become more like his son, Jesus Christ. But all I had to do was give God my yes, just my yes. But your yes is powerful. Your yes, God, I'm into the process. Yes, God, because I understand the depths of your love for me, even though the process of change will be painful, I'm willing to be a part of it and to say yes, because I know it's for my best. Because God, you love me and I trust you completely. It's a powerful word, the word yes. Yes, God, I am ready for change. When you've received the grace and forgiveness of God, you live a life in response to him. This year is about saying yes. And in that yes, we pursue God with all our hearts. I've had God had to change my life. And yes, as I said, it's been painful. But because of what God has been able to do, where he's been able to take me from and where he's currently got me at, I see the grace and forgiveness and love and mercy 
of God. And because of it, I'm willing to keep saying yes to the change that I need to have in my heart. Because I need to keep changing. And you do probably too, because we're not finished becoming more like his son, Jesus Christ. As I said last week, the enemy, the devil, is working very hard at distracting you and shutting down your responsiveness to God. He uses disappointments, hurts, things that have happened to us, or the things that we've done, the faults and failures, sins and mistakes, and a whole lot list more of things. But he uses those to attempt to disqualify you and shut down your responsiveness to God. But God takes the same list of brokenness and failures and sin, and he turns it around and uses it for our good and for the good of everybody else who comes into contact with us. God takes your brokenness. It's not like God doesn't see it. God knows it's there, but God works with us in a process of painful transformation that will bring blessing not only into our lives, but into the many lives we have contact with. Let's take a look at a few verses this morning from the prophet Zephaniah. Now, the focal point of Zephaniah's message is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord would be doom for the sinners in Israel, and in particular, those living in Jerusalem. He uses this term, the day of the Lord, more than any other prophet. In other words, the day of the Lord is coming when judgment will come on those who are sinning. But he also emphasized, and get this balance, shelter for those who sought after the Lord. Look at Zephaniah chapter 3 with me, verse 1 through 4. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. In the preceding chapters, Zephaniah is predicting judgment against the various surrounding nations around Israel. But now in chapter 3, he is zeroing in on Jerusalem, this rebellious and defiled city that harbors oppressors and rebels from the outside. And they allow them to be a part of the ceremonial cleansing to give an appearance of being pure. Yet Zephaniah knows it's simply an outward application with no internal truth. And this drives Zephaniah crazy because you're allowing them to pretend like they've got it all together. These outsiders, you're allowing them to bring this, to defile our city because they are not at all genuine in their transformation. It's all an outward ceremony and not an internal truth in any way. Isn't it interesting what Zephaniah is saying can still be a trap for people today? I know how to do the right things. I know how to give the correct appearance, even that I'm a follower of Jesus, but it can become ceremony if it's not a result of what is happening on the inside of us. Our praise and worship is a result and response of what's happening internally as a response to God and hearts that are in complete gratitude to Him for what He's done. Without that, it's simply singing. Zephaniah is lamenting the state of things in Jerusalem. In this passage, we read he draws four distinctive leadership positions that, and reflects on the state of those particular leaders. 
There are the officials, possibly the royal leaders who should be characterized by justice and equity, and instead they're living lives of greed. Then there are the rulers, also represented those in place of leadership, possibly civil magistrates, who should set an example for everybody in Jerusalem. Instead, they are tagged as predatory and ravenous. Then there are the prophets, described as arrogant and treacherous, meaning unfaithful to the one they claim to represent. Then there were the priests, represent the religious leaders. They were destroying the sanctuary and violating the law. They were to live in reverence for the Lord, but they were living in quite the opposite way. So both inside the church and outside the church, the witness was terrible and the example was terrible from God's people. So what had happened? What had gone wrong to these people in these positions of influence? How had they messed up so bad? How had Jerusalem become this way? How come it was in such a state of disarray? Well, Zephaniah gives us three things that had caused these problems that Jerusalem was facing. And in verse 2 of the passage we read, we see this. It says this, She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. The first one, the people obeyed no one, not even the Lord. That's how we end up away from God. That's how we end up in a state, a net result of self-centered living. The idea that I, I'm now king of my life. I'm in charge. I, I don't need anyone to tell me how to behave or how to live. I know what's best for me. Don't, you don't need to tell me. And this is not the only time in history where that lifestyle and culture has appeared within a generation. I, I don't need you to tell me. I don't need you to point out what I'm doing wrong. I'm in charge of my life. It's a net result of self-centered living where God is not at the center of your life. You are. Your own outcomes, your own desires are now the center of your life. God is no longer center and you begin to drift away from him. Here's the second thing. The people did not put their trust in the Lord. They'd begun to trust their own ability and began to think very highly of themselves and their positions. See, that's a danger. It's a danger in anyone's leadership position or any role whatsoever, is, is that we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We even maybe get compliments about what kind of job we're doing. We start to listen to the positive affirmation, and there's nothing wrong with it, but when it begins to cause us to be self-centered, look how important I've become. We begin to put our trust in ourselves or in our positions, or in our titles, or somewhere where our trust was never designed to be. Our trust must be in the Lord. And what I love about what God can do is He can take ordinary men and women and do something significant with their life if they just continue to trust Him and just continue to say yes to Him. He uses ordinary, everyday people to do something significant, but that He would get the glory, not the people. But what happens in self-centered living is all of a sudden, we like the glory. We like how it feels to be important. We like how it feels to be noticed. And all of a sudden, our trust is no longer in the Lord. It's in our own ability. And this stuff was beginning to happen. And here's the third thing. They did not draw near to God. Everything that I've said that preceded it came out of this point. This is what begins the slide 
away from him. They did not draw near to God. And yet he was the only one, the only one who could provide direction and guidance for their lives. You cannot live a life that reflects God's ways or releases his blessing to others or stay on track without drawing near to God. If you fail with this, you just end up with a whole bunch of nice ideas, thoughts, but no true understanding of what God has in store for you. We've got to stay a people who draw close to God and hear the voice of God and know how to trust in God, not in our own abilities, not in our own ideas, not in our own titles. Stay close to God. If we're not responsive to God, we begin to drift away from Him. What He had planned for our lives to hap- and to happen through our lives won't come to pass. We won't achieve what God has set before us unless we stay close to Him. It's got to be the desire of our hearts to continue to draw near to God, both in the easy seasons and also in the really difficult seasons. That is the power of your yes. That is what it means to be people who say, God, I will say yes to you even in the darkest night. I'll continue to draw first towards you because I understand the importance of being close to the Lord. That's how I know things will come to pass. I think on my journey, and I I go back on it, and I I realize that it was the ability to say yes, to be resilient enough to go, it's going to hurt, it's going to be painful, it's going to be difficult, but am I willing to go through it? Now, I didn't go through it alone. It's not like there was some, hey, he's really awesome. God put amazing people around my life to support me in the journey. That's the power of Christian community. That's what I love about the local church. I couldn't have found Jesus and then never attended church and thought I could make it on my own. It was never going to happen. God put me in a community, a family of God that would bring support into my life, that would encourage, hey, you're falling over again. Come on, get back up and get close to God. Come on, follow God again. Come on, don't quit on your relationship with the Lord. Hey, where are you? I haven't seen you at church in three weeks. Come on, you've got to get back to worship with, with God's people. Iron will sharpen iron. People will lift you up. I love the local church because it's part of the process that God uses to bring about your transformation. But our role in it is to keep saying yes. Yes, God. I will do it, whatever the cost. I threw all that in for free, by the way. Instead of walking in obedience, if we're not careful, we walk in disobedience. And maybe we're not even aware of it. We'll end up putting our trust in either ourselves or in someone or something else instead of completely putting our trust in God. God is looking for people who will pursue Him and who are responsive to Him, who walk in obedience to His will and give Him their yes, no matter what. This year, your yes is to look to God in everything, to chase after Him and respond to Him. God has great plans for your life. I know this without a doubt. And He has people for you to bless and people for you to influence in the world He's placed you in. And the key to seeing these things come to pass is keep drawing near to God. I just feel something prophetic in my heart right now. There are people in this room this morning who you go, hey, I'm good in business, I've got, a, I've got a good education, I've got some practical skills that I've learned, I've done an apprenticeship and I've got a trade, I've done good things in my life. But, but when it comes to spiritual gifts, I'm just not really sure that I've got a lot to offer. You know, I, don't, I'm not the, I don't have the gift of evangelism, I, I'm not sure I have word of knowledge, I, I don't think I've got a whole lot to offer. 
And even though we should pursue the spiritual gifts of God, we absolutely should, and God's got gifts for every one of us. Please do not diminish the practical and natural skills that you have been given, because if you will hand those over to God, God can use those skills and those gifts that you've learned and what you've gained to be a blessing to someone. It may not lead them tomorrow to saying a prayer and accepting Jesus in their life, but it might nudge them slightly towards God because someone came alongside me and encouraged me and cared about me. And now maybe we have a conversation about why I'm this way. Please don't diminish what you've learned and what you've gained over years of experience because if you'll trust God, God can use even that to be a huge blessing to people. Let's Let's attach a promise this morning to the teaching. Psalm 145, verse 13 to 18. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him. There's the promise, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. He's near to you when you call on him in truth. The in truth there means those who know the will of God and submit to it. God is responsive to those who are responsive to him. Children of God who call on him. When you call on him, he hears your prayers. He's responsive to you and you understand his will for your life. So here's a question. How is your call this year? This is the year where we as God's people respond to him. Call on him. And as we call on him and pursue him, he will come near to us. It's his promise. When we venture out in vision as a local church, when you venture out in the call of God on your life, when you say, God, I'm on mission, even in my workplace, when you call on him according to his will, he hears you. He comes near to you. So we call on the Lord. Lord, we desperately need your help this year. We are walking in humility totally aware of our need for you. God, would you come into this situation, into this circumstance, because God, we need you. And the promise is that God comes near to us. I love that. We can get proximity to God through calling on him. In 2018, I will look to God and not to myself. When I've got stuff going on in my life, God will not be the last place I turn, but the first place I turn. This week, my own son, I won't tell you which one. Um, that, that doesn't work for us because we got one. I was trying to take that from the Bennetts who never named their sons, but I've only got one, so you can figure that out. Well, he had a little bit of a meltdown. We'll call it the wobbly of the year. He threw his toys out of the cot, and we had to get him some toy wheel vouchers in order to replace those. He had one of the all-time great wobblies. By all accounts, it was a decent job. Uh, and he took off to his room. By the way, he doesn't do that very often. But he took off to his room and later at the dinner table begins to tell us how he had gone to his room and he had read his Bible. And he had read the book of Job. Now, I wouldn't have said go and read Job if you're having a wobbly, but 
That's what he did. He then began to tell us how Job had been through so much loss of his family, his health, everything of value. And yet he continued to put his trust completely in God and had not given up on God. He said, Dad, even his own wife had told him to curse God and die. Things were bad for him, but he did not give up on God. And in the end, he ended up far more blessed than he was before it all happened. Awesome, Caleb. I thought, that's so fantastic. Please never lose that teaching. Please never lose that revelation. If God will be the first place you go, you'll win in life. Don't ever lose it. But we do so quickly. And we forget God is the place I've got to turn when I'm having a wobbly in life. When it's all going wrong, God needs to be the first place I turn. God is interested in what is going on in my life. I thought, awesome, Caleb. You get up and preach on Sunday. See, the lesson for him was even in the, because we want to know what his lesson was, in the midst of my problems and disaster, even though it was really nothing, God is the one that we need to turn to and run to when things are difficult. You'd think I set this up, wouldn't you? Just for this teaching, I didn't. My, my, my eyes may have just begun to leak a little bit in the moment. I was having a proud moment. Listen, there are many moments where that doesn't happen, but this was one where I was really proud. But my son had just grasped the power of the word yes, to go to God no matter what we might be facing. See, the book of Job is often upheld as an example of godly patience while suffering. Job certainly did suffer. But there's more to the story than just the suffering. It teaches humility as God reminds Job who really is in control. Steadfastness as Job refuses to curse God despite his circumstances. And joy and reward when the latter part of Job's life is more blessed than the former because Job wouldn't quit. Worship team, can you come back and join me? See, we were never to walk this life alone or try and figure out life on our own and in our own strength. We are blessed to be able to turn toward God in response of his love for us and know that as we do that, God comes near to us. What a blessing. That's something to have a moment on. How blessed are you that even in the midst of what you're facing and what's going on, you get to turn to God in total freedom and ask for his help. You get to respond to him. You get to go to him. And God pours out mercy and love and forgiveness and compassion into your heart. I think that's a good deal. I think that's something we can be forever grateful for. And as we turn to him, as you turn to him, and you call upon him, the promise, he comes near to you. He's put us in Christian community. I've already mentioned this, to help one another and to love one another and to know that we are absolutely not on our own. For me to gather with hundreds of other Christians on a Sunday morning reminds me that even when it's difficult, we're on the winning team. That God is for us. That God is for you. That God loves you. And we can stand together alongside of each other, not knowing what happened in the person sitting next to us, what's happened in their week, but we can lift our hands and worship God. And our response is, God, we're going to turn to you no matter what we're facing, no matter what is going on. We'll keep turning to you. And the promise is that you come near to us. That is what's so brilliant about worship. When we lift up the name of Jesus, we're turning to him. And he promises that when we do that, the presence of God will be among us. We turn to him 
He responds to us. I love that about God. We get to pray for each other. We get to trust God together. Stand in collective worship and encourage each other to keep our faith and trust in God regardless of what we face in life. That's probably my favorite thing. As I haven't succeeded in my Christian walk because I did something significant myself. I kept giving God my yes, but people built me up, encouraged me, stood with me where I was deficient in things. Others came along and were part of it. When you look at a church staff like we had this morning, I love it. It's a picture of the local church. Different gifts in every life. Different skills in every one. Not one person has all the answers and all the skills. We need each other. Bringing Tim on this year is exciting in the church executive role. Guy says, I don't want to be a pastor. I'm not a pastor. We said, no, no, it's not a pastoral role. He said, but I will bring the skills that God's given me to the mix and help the church to move forward. See, I love that about church. We do it together. We stand together. We encourage each other. We build each other up. It's exciting. I get excited about that. We keep saying yes to God. This morning, we want to give you a chance in that very community of faith to respond to God for prayer. We're going to open up the front this morning because I believe there are people here today you're carrying prayer needs and you're turning to God or responding to Him today is not just to bear up under whatever it is on your own, but to allow someone to come alongside you and pray for you. It's one of the blessings of Christian community. We stand with each other. For the rest of us, it's a great chance to respond to God in worship, to pursue Him, to turn to Him afresh. And as you respond to Him this morning, you will attract His presence into your life. What will your response be to the Lord? Let it reflect what is happening on the inside of your life. Maybe because of gratitude this morning, this is my one, you want to lift your hands in worship to Him because of the gratefulness you carry in your heart for what He has done. Maybe in response to what you know God is calling you to this year. I don't know what He's calling you to do, what He's got planned for you, but your response may be that you want to kneel in worship and just an act of surrender saying, God, I'm up for whatever you've got for me, but I need your help in the midst of it. Whatever it is this morning, let this time during these next couple of songs be a time where we as a church really pursue God for all he's got for us this year. Would you stand with me as we sing this morning?